0: They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally,
1: they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back,
2: baby, come
1: back. But uh, bye, 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 uh, bye, bye, bye,
0: bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that bye 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 hey how you doing? i'm all right
3: thank you how are you david hellard i'm
0: good Jake. did you did you take a bite of your food just at the very first word <laughs> no, 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 sure. no, no,
3: it wasn't i have been i have been eating my bagel um, but no i didn't know not the fine i'm not eating while we're doing it this isn't a this isn't a Colin McCourt interview.
0: Okay, okay, that's good, that's good. <laughs> well, um, we'll do better. Jodie's in a hotel, so that there's a bit of background noise. You know why, you know why. But um, how, how have things been? How's the 5K training plan going?
3: Um, oh, I just... Everything goes so well until it doesn't. Like, you have, like, some really, really good training weeks, and then something gets in the way, which is usually work that, like, derails it all. And you find yourself just all your time's dedicated to work yeah and you just and you just can't you just can't fit it in you can't fit in the stuff you all the stuff you do before I had like an incredible couple of weeks of training it was a whole br- whole two weeks no 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 I mean like everything was going like right I was like Hitting all of the all of the stuff that I needed to do each for for, for that couple of weeks, yeah. um, and you are actually seeing kind of improvements, and it was and it was starting to feel really strong, and actually thinking, you know, I'm really on track here. Whereas before, because before I've been building up, it's not yeah. I haven't been doing as much speed stuff. I actually now I'm starting to feel like I, now I am getting quicker. I can feel myself getting quicker and everything else like that. Yeah, and then you have like a like a week and a half. Even actually, even after a few days of not doing it, after that you start feeling like what is the the, everything everything has gone wrong and of course not everything hasn't gone wrong but it just feels like it you just feel so like lazy after a week of of, yeah of kind of falling off and you do like little bits and pieces but then everything goes like the like when you especially with your um anyone that's had to do any kind of work and any kind of travel to clients stuff and things like that knows that all sorts of things derail it like eat you know not having like, like food available that's that's okay for you to eat that kind of stuff Sat, sat in the car for ages just you
0: know i, 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 I mean I, we're coming to the end of the year quite soon mate
3: yeah yeah no I, I, why I, i'm not worried
0: well is it, i can't remember isn't the terms of the bet you've got to break 22 by the end of the year
3: i've got to break 20 by the end of the year
0: well i mean 20 is the ultimate 5k time for you yeah. um, and you're not worried still or even of 20
3: you're not worried man you're not worried
0: really no,
3: why would I be worried?
0: Because you're completely useless at putting in a good training block.
3: <laughs> I'm, I, the thing is, I, I do have to weigh things up. So, and I think most people, um, uh, who anyone else that's run a business, um, that the the pain of not being able to pay your staff is higher than the pain. Of,
0: of an Iron Man tattoo. <laughs> of an Iron
3: Man tattoo. Oh, I don't know. When you when you put it like that, maybe the staff can go with that. I
0: mean, staff bit. come and go. We've all had <laughs> staff. We will have staff, but Iron Man tattoo is twatish for life. Well,
3: maybe maybe I maybe I, I, I put it like this. I, I say to them, okay, you're all the reason why um, my training is, uh, is is being scuppered in some areas. So if I get that tattoo you're all getting the tattoo as well
2: oh,
0: i mean there must be there's probably something in the contract that is and ever, other duties that may befall you that you could use that legally they have to do it
3: i'm sure you're allowed to brand your staff i'm sure that's still allowed isn't it you're allowed to. i
0: brand. mean <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if iron man actually did do that
3: <laughs> oh my god you I tra- I bet, I bet, I bet, what we're gonna say you, you want to talk about drugs don't you
0: well, that's the thing. There's Iron Man. It's all kicking off this week. I mean, Andy Palmer has been posting in the group about. Firstly, yeah, as you say, there's there's the cheats. We get on to that. But Iron Man, tr- the World Triathlon, have made an audacious bid to try and buy Iron Man the brand, which is a, I didn't even realise that the brand was now in kind of private ownership and not actually owned by the people that set it up. But Wouldn't apparently it? it's no. Apparently it's owned by. A Chinese company now. um
3: Everything's owned by a Chinese company now. Yeah, that's
0: true. even this podcast. Probably, <laughs> please, to... please buy us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, guys, you buy everything. This is God, please
0: buy us. <laughs> this won't even. This won't even be a rounding number on your like poorest accountant's sheet. But no. um, but yeah, they they basically have said that they they've made some offers in which. They were thinking of IPOing. They didn't, um, and so
3: it's funny that it's called IPO. Is very close to EPO, isn't it? That's the thing. Is, <laughs> they, they they thought they'd EPO, and now they're going to IPO.
0: Oh, no, so basically, uh, the Wanda Sports Group, that is a Chinese, it, it, it calls it a mega conglomerate. I mean, we're a mega podcast, so I know how those. Uh, those <laughs> really really do um do help with the descriptions um they had a, a bad ipo kind of a sort of flop and so the i the thinking was that they might try and offload one of their crown of the jewels uh crown of the jewels um iron man and so i mean it would i know we obviously mock iron man tattoos um and have almost created a a division amongst runners and I and, and iron athletes but this is something that actually would be quite interesting because something that i mean iron man is is such a iconic brand that also is so adamantly against integration in triathletes it's like you're an iron man you're not yeah. a triathlete yeah and so to have it fall under the triathlon remit actually could be quite interesting because it might then change you know olympic triathlon you know would will that's Stay the the centerpiece of the Olympics, or would an Ironman suddenly then just be this generic phrase that it might be that the Ironman goes to the Olympics? It, it wouldn't do it as a brand, but under triathlon, it might do. It might change slightly. Um,
2: yeah.
0: And would it would it actually lose its kind of elitism? And it's I think the thing that frustrates us about it, the thing we don't like is is just how much it's how aggressively it's branded by everyone as no I'm an Ironman versus yeah I've done a longer triathlon (laughs) and uh, and actually you know in an ultra if if you've done an ultra people are proud which is fine um but it's not I am an ultra runner. It's just, yeah, I, I ultra run. I also run. I've done 5Ks, marathons, ultras. And so it'll be there, they're
3: actually. The important thing is that with that, there's not someone enforcing the ultra runner status. That's the thing with the Ironman, isn't it? That's the thing like, yeah, you need to be, you know, this is how, even even internally, this is this is how, the only time you're allowed to get an Ironman tattoo. This is what an Ironman tattoo <laughs> represents. You're just like, what? You're creating rules where there are none.
2: Mm
0: yeah you're creating division based on people wanting to tell other people it's all that it's they're so it's so
3: rules based like the amount of rules i mean what are the rules in an ultra for don't, most
0: ultras don't eat all of the aid station food. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> in bushes, not on the course yeah not even that. That's not even. That's you know, yeah. That's not a rule, too. Yeah.
3: That, just look, look, look carefully at roads. That kind of thing. That's you. Know, it's it's so. Be
0: considerate of dog walkers.
3: Well, no, I don't even think that's true
0: either. <laughs> yeah, true. But um, so, so yeah. Not only that, but then similar time, um, it's been announced that, yeah, they they've actually increased the number of people banned for age, age group doping so they've got they've had three people who've been banned this year and these are random what? drug tests i i don't know what percentage of people that did the iron man world champs were tested i i don't think it's a crazy high percent so you've got to wonder if three of the few that they tested were positive mm. then how many of them are out there are actually are actually testing
3: i know and that's the thing isn't it because they um... They do it when you're queuing for registration. I think I was reading this. They do it when you're queuing for registration. Um, so there's no way of, of, of kind of getting around it. It really is totally random um, and, and and sudden when it happens. And I think like two of them, two of them ran it, and then the other one didn't even didn't even compete, did they? They obviously knew what yeah. was coming.
2: Well, the and, that, that's
0: what surprised me is that. So for example, uh, Flavia, who was banned, she came 46th out of 81. Which to me, it just doesn't seem worth it, does it?
3: <laughs> well, remember, that's what happened in Icarus, wasn't it? He went yeah. to prove he went to prove how like, EPO is this like really enhancing drug, and he, he did his worst performance ever. It was almost good that he discovered all the you know the cover up by the Russians because that would have been the worst documentary ever that, proved that, <laughs> that proves that EPO yeah. isn't anything, doesn't help you in any way.
0: And and maybe it was. To, to qualify for the worlds, they needed the d- drugs to get there. But, um, I mean, what I do like about it is he, there's three of them. There's Flavia, and there's Pablo, and there's Eduardo. Flavia and Pablo were done for anabolic steroids. Eduardo, steroids, EPO, Sarah, don't know what that is. And then it says, and more, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and he's basically thought, well... <laughs> If I'm gonna drugs cheat, might as well do them all. I mean, if I'm gonna get caught, I'm gonna get caught. So in for a penny, in for every drug I've heard of and never heard of.
3: I love that. I love that approach. He's just like, oh, just yeah. Well, let's have the full stack, baby. I'm not gonna, because what? Yeah, what is the point? Your blood isn't gonna like go. uh, They're not gonna go. Oh, you only took a little bit. Rather than if I'm gonna get banned, I'm gonna get banned. Let's go out in style.
0: I mean, if you're gonna get tiny balls, you might as well get tiny hairy balls.
2: But um, I mean, is,
3: this is really actually this whole this whole start of an episode can be about cheating. There is so much cheating related stuff I've got to talk about Ooh. as well.
0: Oh, well, firstly, do you want me to try and get Edward? So Pablo had come second previously, right? Which, in, in his age category, which you think I can understand what the desire to come top three. Yeah. more than I can understand being. 40th out of 80 so yeah. um do you want me to try and get pablo or eduardo the guy who just took it all just because i want to i want to hear like how he does it all and uh, well. um,
3: i want i get him on the potty i would i'd would love to have him on the potty but oh I, I think you, uh, you have a conversation with them first because i want them to be like a completely remorseless and hilarious <laughs> that's <what> I- <laughs> But I don't think that's going to happen. I know I'm going I'm to
0: gonna... be shitting up during the podcast. <laughs> yeah,
3: good. You want something special? You want something special? You know, just like a proper, like you know, gangster type, uh, type individual. He's just going, yeah. I took this. I took that. I took whatever I want. <laughs> I
0: and mean, the, the interesting thing is that we there's a four year ban from competition. Um, and actually, having spoken to people in, in ultra running, I'm sure. It, they'll just go off and do ultras and no one will realize they're banned from sports or they do cycling and no one will realize they're banned because people don't really share that information very well but the people talk about something like warren gatlin who has had two three dubious tests yeah or people who were who were banned and who come back and compete and they're like it's not it's not long enough four years because they can still have a career, they can still have the benefits, and actually, they can go away for three and a half seasons and just become a monster who then comes back and tests clean um But with age group racing, four years is nothing because actually you're always going to be raced at these be able to race at this competition and so. Yeah. You'll just come back in in four years, eight years, 10 years, 20, 30 years time and you know the youngest person is is 45. they might want to be racing when they're 65. So it does change for age groupers I think they need to look at how long is actually a, a fair ban because you might be someone who's in a, a, who's four years older than these people and you wouldn't have raced them for the next four years anyway because you're in the next category so actually it makes no difference to you that they've cheated and they've been banned you're going to meet them in four years time anyway after they're banning when they've probably gone to town on all
2: these trucks (laughs) and so
0: if anything they're going to come back far better against you because of this decision
3: i love the i love the way that we think that these um these athletes think like us (laughs) (laughs) We might as well absolutely cane it while we've got the chance, and then come back better.
0: <laughs> it's like it's like when you know when you say say you're out. I mean, obviously, I, I'd never I've never been in trouble, Briggsy really ever, and, and actually, shouldn't be in trouble with but with previous girlfriends. If you're out drinking when you shouldn't be, and you're in trouble, and you're like, "Well, I'm in trouble now," I might as well
3: been been yeah just exactly the, the, le- long. The, the level of trouble you're going to still be annoyed at me whether it's one. Or whether it's yeah. ten, so I might as yeah. well have ten and actually soak up the pain because I won't even notice. At one, <laughs> at one, at one, I'll be feeling guilty and I'll be feeling bad and, and everything like that. At ten, yeah, I'm not going to know the difference.
0: I might as well make it worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that will, that will be, is why it would probably be so interesting to talk to them as well to to just see whether they think it's worth it and what their strategy is because I wonder whether that would change the. The length of time they're banned for if they were known to be publicly going oh well yeah no remorse time to uh time to become a monster um, <laughs> i don't even know what we really mean by that let's become a monster <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say i guess uh, time to be ripped but then if it's epo <laughs> let's, it's, a, let's
3: let's become a monster
0: i love it <laughs> i guess it's that visual of you, <laughs> right there, so you kind of your muscles bulge everywhere and yeah that
3: so just so just cane it on all the drugs for for enough time until and then start coming off them after having become a monster you just imagine <laughs> just, how, it, how long you've been, been crying like... for how weak you'd be <laughs> <laughs> maybe TV. that's the thing is no one's drug testing me for this 5k challenge thing so <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I might just become a monster if if that I mean,
0: helps Vivi he, he has often described you as he said, "You don't understand, David. He's becoming a monster."
3: She's been crying down the phone to her parents, calling me a monster. I don't know what that what that means. Um, so anyway, this is really interesting because I've got a couple of Netflix. Well, I'm not I'm not necessarily their Netflix recommendations, mm. but things that I watched on Netflix basically. And I think and I, and I think a lot of other people have watched uh, watched one of these. So two things. Okay, one Iron Cowboy about James Lawrence's attempt to do th- was it thirty Iron Man's in thirty days.
0: Oh is it good? I think I've I think I might have started that. I can't remember. Right. Have heard of it before?
3: So when you hear about this challenge, you hear about this idea did 30 iron man's in 30 days. You know, your initial reaction is well, wow, that's impressive. And and that is impressive.
0: That's well, very impressive actually. Okay.
3: That's right. No, but this Right. so you watch it and you actually realise that, that you know this is this is his challenge and the way he approached it is everything that's kind of wrong about this whole culture at the moment of I'm going to do a challenge and to hell with you know really thinking about it or planning it properly or um, uh, working out exactly what I you know what we're going to do. where are you?
0: Oh sorry, I was just sat, I was just sat on my back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here, I'm still here. I was just like just in another standing position. <laughs> I forgot you could see me.
3: (laughs) So, yeah, it's like everything that's wrong, you know, like people that, um, uh, like people that knock out these challenges, I'm going to do this amount of thing in this amount of days, um, but they don't properly plan it, um, you know, and they drag people along with it and people get involved with it. And then they realize that there's no plan and stuff like, and it was kind of, it was kind of like that. It's kind of chaos. I hadn't really thought about, you know, he was an Ironman competitor and stuff, but he hadn't really thought about it. And he went, oh, is it, it? No, no, it was 50. It was, sorry, I've got this wrong. It was um, 50 Iron in 50 states in 50 days. That's what it was. And, and so there's all these logistical things. And, you know, but, but by all accounts, EO, you know, the planning wasn't there. Um, and so he's dragging his family around, which is really. His
0: whole family, like kids yeah, as well.
3: Yeah, exactly. A whole family around. Um, he had this sponsorship that he was going to he was in a sponsorship he was he said he was raising money for a charity and then he yeah. checked the charity at the last minute to the jamie oliver thing and um jamie oliver fund or whatever didn't really know what he was talking about and they <laughs> and, well, he hadn't properly applied to, be, to have that charitable status and stuff and there was all this gray area of like well where's the money going and stuff if you do anything like that so it
0: wasn't like there's a just giving page that automatically gave it to the charity
3: no no it didn't seem like it It, it, it's it was like a real gray area but he got support from all these different people um but if you've like you know it's 50 states 50 days it's like traveling over it is traveling over a continent isn't it
0: It, but then in a way i mean how i know they're pretty big aren't they it's not as if the cycle is going to get you across one
3: no no exactly and so so he does these challenges but then like the weather goes bad and um he starts, like, they start adapting the, the Ironman uh, challenges. So, <laughs> so, so you know, it goes from, like, oh, right, I'm going to do an indoor cycle and a sw- indoor swim. And then it gets to a point where he starts doing, like, a cross train on a cross trainer rather than a run. And all these people are following him. And How it, come? Can you imagine? Well, I can't remember what the reason was. I think they didn't have a treadmill or something like that. There,
0: there, was, there was some kind of reason. What, thing, where can you not find a place to run? No. And that was, I mean, we talked to Stephanie Case, no. who was running around what a, a tiny courtyard in Kabul. Yeah. And yeah. you are like, yeah, you can figure it out, buddy.
3: No, and that was the thing, and that was the thing, and of course, can you, you can imagine what Iron Man competitors, you know what triathletes are like? You can imagine what the like the Iron Man, they're like, you haven't done it. You, you might as well quit now because that is not a, a that is not a run. You've you've gone on a tread you've gone on a, um you know it's, it's bad enough it's like a treadmill but yeah. you know you've gone on a um a cross trainer which is a, like fundamentally different thing because it, it's obviously much easier yeah. on a cross trainer than it is on a thing
0: or even on a treadmill than it is on a road.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so there you know there was all this stuff and there you know, and he was saying that, oh he was feeling depressed and stuff like that and at the same time his body just wasn't coping with it. And so um, they made the decision to start putting him on a um, on a drip, um, you know, in order to to help him, um, you know, because he, he just wasn't recovering in time. And so they were sharing. I mean, it's just like it's such naivety. Was this about, while
0: he was on the like, yeah, while he was was on still, the cross chain, he still had the
2: drip in.
3: No, no, he, they would have him on a bike with all of this. They would, and they were sharing this on social media so people could see, and like people commenting, oh. He they've actually shared a picture of him like doping while, <laughs> while competing, and so it was just, just this like massive like it blew up massively um, because people just go what you know what firstly you dope so how what does that say about the sport yeah. and what does that say about you know the challenge that you're doing and how ridiculous it is and and are you really doing it if you're doping what well, you know um, and, and you know in all fairness to him you know the, the doctor said like he just wouldn't be do- he wouldn't be able to carry on if he was doing it and so. Uh, you know, it, it was either this or nothing. And so, you know, and it carries on, it carries on. And, you know, the, the way that the narrative plays out in the end. So it, it, it kind of has a happy ending in a sense. Yeah. So obviously everyone knows that he did it and everything like that. And, you know, but he got to like, you know, one of those things where he'd got to like, you know, day 40 and stuff. And he, you know, I think it was his target was like 50 grand and he would raised about three grand or something. Like nice. there was all sorts of stuff. And people, you know, because he'd done it, he he, he, he kind of got to this rock bottom point point. Everyone's against, it. Yeah, and he does that typical, you know, people start giving him resources, starts raising money, starts getting a lot more coverage and stuff towards the end. But, but yeah, but it was just it was completely like, the, the whole thing was like chaotic, and it was just that it was it just reminded me of the you know, amount of um, times that <clears throat> back when I was when I was uh, like writing for men's running, I'd interview people who were doing like challenges like that. And they just, they weren't organised in any way. They were just like off the back of their thing, they just do it. And you just, you know, you could tell that they were cutting corners and, and all sorts of stuff.
0: So is he, is he claiming it then?
3: So I don't know. So the interesting thing was that um, actually the, um, uh, the the authority, whoever responsible for Ironman or triathlon or whatever, I can't remember what they're called, um, the the cheat association or something they they changed the rules on that about that you you are allowed to have um uh like saline uh, i think a saline i can't remember exactly i think it was a saline drip or something um so you are allowed to have that and that wouldn't you know uh, so they did change the rules on that you know as a result of that because they said that actually it's it's fine but it wasn't it was against the rules when he started
0: and isn't it weird that something like a saline drip because they they have that at the mds yeah and that is understandable because it's it's to do with your water management. Yeah, and they if you have you allow, but it costs you more than two. I think you're out. So, yeah, um, but, but that. Though what I don't understand is if, if he sat on a, a a bike in a gym, surely he can hydrate properly.
3: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I just and, and the thing was there's also, he was having all sorts of problems, um, the whole way through it. And, and you get this impression that, like, there was all this, you know, disagreement between the different teams he had. Like, the te- mm. the people that, you know, the guys who were helping him out and stuff, they were, like, really good, nice guys, it seems, you know, and everything. But they just kind of didn't know what they were doing. It was just – the whole thing was, like, chaotic. Which is – so, so right, so that's Iron Cowboy, okay? And yeah. so, you know, it, and it does kind of have a happy ending and stuff. Um, do you think
0: that happy ending's true or do you think that's a Netflix happy ending?
3: I think that – I do think it's – I think it's probably – not as um not as i not as i think you might be put off doing it again in the future because <laughs> the thing is the very good, like, yeah, the whole community if you if you set yourself up as like a doing doing like Iron Man and stuff like that look at the community you're going to have you know mm. stuff like that
0: yeah it's they're like, probably not they're not gonna be forgiving are they
3: no it's like it's like how we feel about cftb you know, <laughs> he goes against everything that's, that bad boy running stands for. But because he's so good, we allow him. Because he wins, we allow we allow him. But as soon as he starts losing, he's going to be thrown under the bus.
0: And well, was, as soon as he starts losing, he'll start drinking. I think. Oh
3: yeah, that's it's it. Okay. Yeah, and it'll be that,
0: okay.
3: yeah, exactly. And then, and so then, the other thing I watched because I watched this back to so back. I watched a lot of cheating. Um, I think so. I watched a CrossFit documentary called "The Redeemed and the Dominant." I just they've got such ridiculous like overblown titles
0: i mean the fact that they've got one the fittest man on earth or like oh, the fittest right. guy ever and you're like yeah. okay you mean the, the, the fittest crossfit guy
3: yeah no yeah it's it's crazy because they, they still talk about that they're such a they're such a dodgy organization as well you know like one year they gave a um, um a glock handgun as a as a, as a as in the goodie bag for the, <sighs> for the for the finalists no they, they, were, they were sponsored by glock
0: Oh my god, <laughs> that's insane. That is insane.
2: Yeah.
3: Wow. Oh my god, it's just reminded me of another thing, of another documentary as well. All so right, so they
0: should, before just, we go on to that, they should try and track down the first death linked to that sponsorship they should do because it's, it's possible right they've all well, got a they if
3: they get the gun if they get the gun they'll have the registration number. if they find the gun they've got the registration number of the gun they'll be able to track it back to it being given away in a goodie bag at a crossfit
0: and i think statistically it's likely to be a crossfitter cuz like it's, you're more likely to die at the hand of your gun than yeah killing someone else aren't you So. um Interesting.
3: So okay, but this right. So this was brilliant. So they, so basically, they were, they were talking about this thing, and they were talking out, and drugs was brought up. Mm. Um, and you know when people respond <laughs> ridiculously to something, as so I had all the people that were in the CrossFit organisation,
2: yeah. and then
3: someone would go, you know, they, they asked the question because these these are CrossFit paid for documentaries, mm. um, and. They, you know, they're asking questions. So they ask the question to these these different members of the of the management team, and like someone would go, yeah, yeah, nobody, nobody in, in CrossFit dopes. No one, no one in the top, and they all in denial. The, but then there was one who's going doping. I mean, what even is it? What is it? I mean. Like, <laughs> What does it even mean what does that question even mean you're like well it's pretty obvious like but you know when they're like denying it so much you're like you you know something and so
0: and also, also the way to defend yourself against an allegation is not to be like I've no bloody idea what it even means. It's like, are, 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 are you having sex with that woman? I have no idea what sex even is. Oh, I mean, sure. If you describe me like going to bed and putting something in someone, then maybe. Surely the way to defend yourself is by saying, "Yes, we know absolutely everything about this, and we're yeah. are monitoring it, and it's not happening because yeah. of these reasons." Rather than being like, "Oh, oh.
3: Well, no, it's the, the reaction to it is really bad. It's just like why." Right? I don't really know what why you are saying. So this goes on, it goes on, and you know they, they're talking, they talk about drugs and like that. Needless yes, to say, yes. someone in the top three men dope, you know, gets done, for, gets done for doping and gets kicked out and everything. And so, you know, everything they've been talking. About, and then often they, you know, they're back going, oh, you know, we never had any idea that it
2: would be, you know,
3: never <laughs> happened before, and things like that. And then We you know,
0: asked him and he said, no, I'm not doing it. And we were like, well. Crossfits don't lie.
3: I mean, the thing is, the thing is, they interview him throughout and they ask this guy, um, uh, you know, whether he, whether, you know, what he thinks did, about... Did he focus. look like a monster? He didn't look like a monster, but he, <laughs> he must have been one of the guiltiest looking people I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> <I laughs> like, Resigns
2: just going left to right <laughs> the whole time.
3: Yeah, yeah. He, he just... I mean, like, you know, like, you, you, you shouldn't, like, judge people based on, you know, like, the way they look and stuff like that, but he just everything about his body language everything about him was like i am like totally doping um but yeah and so all these other people going yeah well if this ever dopes well yeah if we find that it's doping we'll get it a bit blah 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 blah, blah stuff like that. so so of course they find it and then when they do it they're all like really like oh yeah we've got this under control duh, 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 duh. you know it, it just it kind of blows apart the whole thing absolutely just absolutely ridiculous
2: um
3: and then there's another oh this is just reminding me of this um Um, Oh, I can't remember exactly what it's called. Let me think. I think it's called... Yeah, it's called Killing the Fat Man.
0: Killing Fat Man?
3: Killing the Fat Man. Okay, This could be
0: quite a
2: dark documentary.
3: This is brilliant. Okay, so there's a guy. So this one one isn't on Netflix. This one's on Amazon Prime. And again, this is a CrossFit-created documentary. And it's called Killing the Fat Man. It's about a guy who um, was uh, ex-military and... You know, typical your typical sort of like mid forties to fifties guy, family though know, he's lot, put on a lot of weight and stuff like that, and he decides to go to CrossFit to change his life. So you can imagine. So you know, it's it's brilliant. He's a real talker as well. This guy called Gary Roberts, <laughs> and so. So he starts going to CrossFit and stuff and he starts learning about it. And, you know, it's all it's all, you know, it's not as um, it, it shows how cult he is and stuff like that. But he, he goes to that transformation where he starts doing a little bit of exercise and things like that. And then all of a sudden he becomes like the most evangelical cult member. He like starts banning bread from the um, from the house. He gets going on about paleo. He turns into <laughs> he, he turns into what was like quite an easygoing, quite a nice guy who was clearly just like, you know, had that proper middle-aged spread to the most fanatical um, uh, crossfitter you can imagine. Oh, yeah, unbearable. Unbearable and so much that he starts talking about all the women that start approaching him and stuff like that. Uh, you know, he's going, yeah, you know, I was offered sex. I was offered, you know, all, the, all these other things. He's, he, he becomes just absolutely absolutely ridiculous by the end of it it's it's kind of it's car crash tv it's so painful to watch and it, the worst thing about it is that this is crossfit sponsored chris crossfit think that this is a good way to so so what happened was so I, I was really interested because i was saying well what happens in season two because i was like he would have conversations with his wife because um, he was going you know she doesn't respect me and oh, saying all this stuff on camera and you're like right and i'm not sure this is putting crossfire you know in a in a, in a oh, really good way he was married he's got a family so he's married oh. family stuff like that and um you know he's like oh yeah now yeah, my wife's finding me more attractive and stuff like that and, you know and i think i think she's just being shallow you now why didn't she find me attractive before so he's like got a real victim complex going on as well oh, no. and he's like <laughs> really vulnerable and um so i was just Can you uh, always I
0: mean, suspect the breakup of families. Uh, yeah imminent. exactly
3: absolutely but so, oh. so so i started researching i said oh, well is there a second is we, we had to we had to switch off eventually because it, it's just so painful listening to <laughs> keep talking all the time and um and they're only like 20 minutes long these episodes but actually these this this episode right, that, that season persuaded so many people to start crossfit and actually it inspired a lot of people to, to to do crossfit to lose weight and stuff like that <laughs> you can go to the second season he's divorced he's living in a van and he's put all the weight back on <laughs> so he has to lose it all again i'm like how is this a good advert for CrossFit? Oh,
0: wait that was true yeah oh i thought you were <sighs> saying
2: that was <gasps> no yeah,
0: yeah. oh yeah. my word yeah and 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 actually, that is. I mean, it's, it's an interesting topic. You've kind of crossed a hit upon is, you know, what what happens when? And I think we do have quite a few do badgers who've come into running, and it's been quite transformational. Yes. Um, and what happens if that's your journey, but it's not your family's journey, and and you are essentially becoming someone different with different values, um, and what happens if if the the life you had before doesn't share those values? Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's crazy that they think that this is a good – but then
3: – Well, well for... no, it, it, you know, so the original one, okay, you could kind of understand, kind of understand it, but it's just they picked someone – I don't know how they picked him. I mean, he's a real talker, and, and it, actually his journey, I think, is very, very similar to a lot, of, a lot of people's in the sense that, you know, when you become excited about something, you do start seeing the changes and you start losing the weight, then it's exciting, and you become fanatical about it. So, in many ways, it's probably the journey that a lot of people – that a lot of people take and so and that's, I think that that was the thing that was quite inspiring because it, it is inspiring to see him lose weight and see him become stronger and, and everything else and the difference between the start and, and the finish I mean he got a lot more support than you'd normally get from a traditional CrossFit I mean he pretty much had one-on-one support we were watching it and I was going to Libby yeah that's not like that a normal cross.
2: <laughs>
3: you'd never have that Oh, was it was
2: Libby giving you yet.
3: looks of why aren't you ripped like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's like when are you gonna when are you gonna divorce me <laughs> so i can end this terror <laughs> why are you looking at vans <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so um yes
2: yeah, so, i yeah. look
0: out for that one because that i mean season two would be really interesting to watch i think to actually hear his narrative because he'd still be having that pressure to put a positive well spin well
3: it's, it's more than that because then by that time he was working for crossfit he was a cameraman and so by that time he was working for crossfit and um he said that uh, you know and because people everyone knew him you know the crossfit community because you know his stories that like, i mean if someone does crossfit i don't know how how kind of well known he is but it seems to have this whole narrative of him seems to have persuaded so many people to go into it, um, and um, and so people were coming up to him. But people coming up to him, seeing that he put all the weight back on again,
2: oh, like yeah, like that.
3: and he said, "What's it called? What's the name of the guy that runs CrossFit? I can't remember his name." Um, but he came Get up fit, to it. I
0: think.
3: <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> but um
3: but he came up he came up to him and he goes you need to get yourself sorted out because like you're you're an inspiration to people and they're looking at you and they and he kind of like did it in a sort of a jokey way but it, it was kind of true and so yeah but yeah they so they so the, the second season's all about it and i don't think i don't think they've done a season since but it's it oh it's the whole thing is total car crash it's just i don't i i don't see uh, I, it might have persuaded some people to go into but I think there's just better ways of doing it. That second season is just so painful to watch. It's so painful.
0: But you know it's going to have to end with some positive because it's a... But that, I mean, that would be the issue. What if maybe they wouldn't release it? But what if CrossFit had embarked on the second season with the intention of him turning it around again and finding a lovely partner and all these positives but that you know maybe he would have I mean you'd assume he'd have real um psychological issues with breaking up with his family his wife losing his kids putting the weight back on the pressure
3: well well, that's the thing it's that's all the psychological issues that I think just it's one of those things where you're like some you know at some point CrossFit must have gone right we need this we need this guy needs to come some kind of like therapy or stuff like that because he's just talking and and this this should be like warning signs here um you know maybe maybe this isn't a good subject for for a film um but they kind of plow on with it regardless
0: <laughs> wow so i mean good luck buddy if you're out
2: there just
3: <laughs> well he's got i think he's got I, i've tried to find him on like, instagram and stuff like that and i think he's, he's got married now to Uh, yeah he's got a new wife and everything i don't know how involved he is with with the kind of crossfit but it's just it's really it's just really interesting how they kind of don't seem to care how they're perceived as long as you get to one of those crossfit gyms as long as you get to a crossfit you know um box then it it doesn't really matter
2: i
0: mean the nice the the, the nice thing would be if if it was just a tv show that they suggested and then once it started they couldn't stop because that Potentially could be what's happened, but you can't imagine CrossFit would free up that control to no. an independent production company. But um, but it does it does both of those. They the thing with triathlon, so Ironman, not triathlon, Ironman, and something like CrossFit is as soon as you have vested interest in the sport, yeah. where the sport is governed by a company, things like drug cheats. There's no real motivation for them to try and stop it. Because it's bad publicity, yeah. and so and, and we found this even with things like the Tour de France, where they've have been, you know, reticent, so hesitant to try and actually stop it, and 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 it's not been until they've realised that in the long run it hurts them far more to allow drug cheating when it all comes out. But yeah, you do need it, and it, for 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 sport to be in my mind, in a proper legitimate sport, it needs independence
2: yeah. to then
0: to have the proper testing and to have all these conflicts in the promotion and, and everything like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, what's what's another equivalent? Spartan racing. I've no idea whether it's prevalent there, but it's, you know, similar motivations. Um, things like Toughest Mudder, World's Toughest Mudder, you've, you've got to wonder whether... Organisations that don't say we want an independent body that we um, have no influence over to actually be in charge of our drug testing is whether you know how stringent it is,
3: yeah, yeah. Which leads us nicely on to um, uh, <laughs> Russia, Russia being banned from every single sport or not, as I'm sure will happen. I'm behind on this. So, what I suggested that Russia is banned from all sports. <laughs> have you not seen this
0: which uh, well i you forget i'm normally um a week behind in the news because i read the week rather than reading dailies because i it just fits in more in my life so I, I i'm always up to date a week behind all
3: right let's say so, let, let no. me let me and and actually russia it... faces banned from all major sports events russia could face a ban from all major sports events over discrepancies in a lab base the world anti-doping agency has warned the country has been given three weeks to explain inconsistencies, or risk being extreme from the Olympics and World Championships race. Russia also faces being barred from hosting major events. Yeah, that's, that's you no. Know, the issue the issue was that they had to hand over their data for the Moscow lab in January, because as part of as part of this thing that it was going to be reintegrated back into the thing. And <laughs> there's been loads of inconsistencies. Um, so and and basically, so that that's part of it. And so you know, they I mean, they just it. it, it so of rather course. than
0: coming clean and saying, we're going to be honest with you, yeah, we've been cheating loads, they've been trying to hide it still.
3: Yeah, yeah. so essentially, yeah, so all part of the thing, I think they made it, made it conditioned, didn't they, that, you know, that you're going to be, mm. you're gonna be you're, you, you can come back, but you've got to actually open it up, and it sounds like that they haven't done There's a lot of, yeah, it's more nuanced than that.
0: And of, of course they can't come clean, because as you know we saw in Icarus, it essentially is going to taint the whole political structure of Russia. Yeah. And for, you know, how demeaning would it be for Putin if all Russian athletes, and this is conjecture, but say all Russian athletes who've ever uh, competed in the Olympics since the beginning of the data are shown to be on drugs and are banned. And therefore every single medal is then handed back. I mean, and that reflects on everyone in on everyone in political system because people know that the structures are there and they're based on decisions made on high and so those are the types of things that actually could change the politics of a country yeah. and how can you claim to be you can't claim that you're not a corrupt organized country and that this isn't happening elsewhere if it's so prevalent in a sport that your leaders have been denying and have been lying about it's essentially saying, yeah, we're all corrupt in everything. We've been lying to all of the public. And it's very hard to then twist that in your newspapers to be like, oh, the West and all they're saying we're drug streets <laughs> and we're not, because it's based on data. And it's and it's so, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out because the, the forces on both sides and you've got to wonder whether this is kind of, led because Seb Coe's come under criticism criticism in the past for not being harsher on them um, and, and we've got to wonder how this is going to pan out because you can't see, well I can see World Athletics and, and Wilder backing down before russia did before russia come clean
3: oh yeah. oh yeah and that's the thing so the fundamental thing is that even though that they can come to these conclusions and they can they can think can they actually ban them from specific events so things like the olympics and um, world cup well thank goodness the ioc and fifa aren't completely commercially driven organizations who who fundamentally like rely on russia's involvement yeah and it's like, and- eurovision, it's like eurovision kicking out the uk it's not going to happen.
0: <laughs> Although that would be brilliant,
2: that would that be brilliant.
0: People would be torn apart. They wouldn't know, like, oh, how do I feel about this? Especially if it's then won by Australia, and you're like, what? What? <laughs> but um, but it'll be it'll be really interesting to see then how Russia respond because they're clearly going to try and oh, they've throw already started, money at it.
3: They've already started doing. Like, they yeah, you know, they respond they they responded in the same way that um the guy from uh, CrossFit responded to the suggestion of drug like what what. What are these discrepancies what what are what, what are they related to you're like what you know what the discrepancies are you've been given like all you know all the information that you need to do like what 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 even are discrepancies what what even are what even are drugs <laughs> yeah
0: who's to say what a drug is and what a drug isn't yeah. is it just a rug with the <laughs> deep in front of but um i could you could see potentially because the russians are pretty uh, uh pretty clever in how they they view world politics and how they view strategy it's
3: creating confusion isn't it it's create just you have to just create enough doubt it's just it's like a it's like a a homicide uh, someone that's defending a you know a a, a homicide or something you have just create just enough reasonable doubt
0: I've, I've then, heard they're start, actually paying yeah. Shaggy as a consultant to try and advise them and how to get away with it. Because you know he famously made love on the sofa. He was having sex, I think, in front of his wife, and he still denied. I mean, he got away. He somehow got away with it just by saying it wasn't me. So I mean, the guy, the, the guy can't be pinned down on anything.
3: That might be the answer to everything. Just they need to have their defence set to reggae. <laughs> <laughs> no one expects that. No one expects to be up in the, you know, what's it called, the uh, in front of CAS, um, you know, <laughs> having to appeal against it, and then all they they come in with they they could dress up as the Jamaican. The rec- bobsleigh.
0: kicks in, and the smile they, takes.
3: They, exactly, coming dressed as the Jamaican bobsleigh team from uh, from the beer lovers, and you know they, <laughs> who who ban anyone when they were that joyful about it.
0: <laughs> but the yeah, I could I could see a situation where Russia decide that actually they need to muddy the water and they then start to hack things like the um, what is it? Salazar's, Salazar's lab and they'll send in people over to Kenya and try and because if they can show that yeah. all other countries are dope and actually in a way that's probably an easier way of getting out of it not to deny the facts but to create so much cloudy muddy water and, and say they suddenly turn out and go, well, it, here's the facts on Mo Farah, here's the facts on Innings, yeah. here's the facts on Team Sky, here's the facts on the Kenyans, here's the facts on the Ethiopians, here's the facts on... Um, CFTB. CFTB!
3: <laughs> he <laughs> um, has been all, drinking
0: <laughs> All in a doubt. And, and I'm not saying any of these teams or people are necessarily doping, but it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of them were, or even, here's the facts on the Jamaican sprint teams, because how many of them have been banned in the past? And so say they suddenly, they've got so much um, technological uh, skills, I guess, and, and and know how that if they suddenly, if these all, all these things will suddenly be released, then it's very hard for them. They're not going to ban Kenya and Ethiopia and the Americans and the Jamaicans and the the British cycling, they're not going to ban all of them. And so suddenly that's a a far better argument for them to be like, well, everyone's cheating. Why are we being treated differently than to actually having to justify something that's unjustifiable?
3: yeah absolutely yeah. yeah that's it it's just that that's kind of like the russian way of doing things now that's yeah. they create you create enough um
2: create chaos
3: chaos that's it and then let everyone else sort it out and then just kind of like slip backwards into the into the hedge and just yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it's like look over there there's a bear
3: <laughs> yeah. that's kind of that's kind of our approach as well um
0: <laughs> Well, trying to segue from that, actually. <laughs> we're going from probably what is one of the, the one of the most muddied, un, unprofessional, and just just horrible situations in sport to what I see as possibly one of the purest races out there. That's quite a good segue, right?
3: That's nice. That's nice.
0: And, and I genuinely mean that because um, there's very few races where you are just left with a compass... And a kit bag for a whole weekend, and then all hell breaks loose just because of who you are rather than because of the organization. So, on with the show, Nick. So, do badders, we, we mentioned trying to get someone from the Om on last year when I, I did the arm. Well, I attempted the Om and had a, a great time, but a, a disastrously bad uh, performance kind of as expected to be honest but um so we jd and i were talking then about how it'd be really interesting to try and understand a little bit more about how one goes about setting setting the arms so hopefully you then get an insight into how the, the route operates and you might then actually approach in a more prepared way if that makes sense so we've gone out and we've got the for, uh, for us today so welcome to the podcast Stuart Hamilton hey how you doing
1: I'm very well thank you and thank you for having me on David
0: my pleasure Do you want to, before we go into kind of your role and, and how you how it all, it all works on race day and, and planning it do you want to give us a bit of a an overview of, of what the army is and kind of where it's come from and and and, and, and what it entails
1: yeah um, the OM started life as a, uh, a brainchild of a group of friends who'd been up in the hills for the day, uh, come down from the mountain uh, and were discussing which were the most important skill sets to have, uh, and as conversations invariably do in the pub turning to uh, a little element of competition about who was therefore the best at that, uh, and the guys <laughs> couldn't therefore couldn't collectively decide uh, which was the single most important element, uh, whether that was um endurance fitness um, navigation kit selection um teamwork uh a whole raft of things and uh, clearly as you you probably found out last year a sense of humor um and so the this event was born back in 1968 it was first held in uh, in north yorkshire uh had 168 teams on it um and the format of the event has remained the same ever since
0: i mean that's pretty good for uh for first event to get 168 teams.
1: Yeah, there was an article published in a, in a magazine at the time called The Climber. Um, and it was, the guys who were organized it were pretty well known. They went on to found the London Marathon, for example. Wow. Um, and some of the, the sort of key names involved, or the main name involved at the time, was a, a guy called Jerry Charnley, um, who um, started the event and, and largely introduced orienteering to the UK. Um, he partnered up with the guys at Caramore uh, um, for support for the event uh, with Mike and Jen Parsons, uh, sorry, uh, Mike Parsons and Jen Longbottom. Um, and the, uh, some of the notable guys over the years who have been involved with people like Chris Brasher, uh, who've recently come back from the Olympics um, uh, and uh, founder of Brasher Boots and um, Paddy Buckley and, and, and various other names across the sort of UK outdoor industry that are fairly well recognized.
0: And if you were to describe then for uh, we, I mean, we've we've done a couple of episodes about the Om um, already. But if you were to describe what it actually is for someone who's who's never heard of it before, how would you describe the race?
2: A
1: certain percentage of competitors there to actively compete uh, and looking to to really place uh, and beat other people. Uh, the vast majority of people are there from a huge variety of different backgrounds. Um, to uh, test themselves uh, with the aim of finishing their particular course. The sort of age range on the event goes from 16 through to last year, mid-70s, uh, with people who, uh, some are professional athletes, some people are joining us for the first time. Um, and some, some of those have never even used a compass before.
0: And because, um, so for this, just to, fill in a few of the dots basically it's it's kind of like orienteering except that there's two different classes so one of them you have to find checkpoints in a set order Uh, what's that that course called is that fixed
1: so the linear courses uh, are comprised of a series of checkpoints uh, that have to be visited in a specified order the route in between those checkpoints is yours to make and that's one of the test elements of the event is recognising the fastest way and the most efficient way across the terrain that you've been set your challenge on. Um, The other course option is called Score. Um, You're then presented on the start line with a map with a a series of checkpoints right across the event area. Each of those checkpoints has a points value, and you then select which of those checkpoints you think you can go and visit within the time that you have available to you on the mountain. And do you think...
0: Do you think people take the, the, is the score seen as the easier of those two? Or is there no real difference between the calibre of people and the the people it appeals to?
1: By nature, the score courses are far easier to complete uh, than a linear course. If you're having a good day, you can elect to go for some further checkpoints. Um, If you're having a bad day, you can just drop your planned route and you can head straight in for the overnight side. Um, one of the things that we do is we never set the overnight campsite more than 10 to 12 kilometers in the direct line from the event center. So if you can walk uh, 10 kilometers in one day, then you can do an on.
0: Well, I think you could walk 10 kilometers and be a, a <laughs> <laughs> and be a long way from. I know you can get be a long way from, and and actually that's the thing that, that
2: I've
0: I've only done three or four OMS and that's the big difference between we've we've talked about quest stars before. Um, we've had adventure races on. I think that's the big difference between the om and a lot of other races is that because it's in national parks, you're not really following paths, and you're so used to navigating to roads, to maps, to paths, but actually the OM, you're on the side of a mountain or a massive hill, and you could go at any angle in any direction, and there's no real markings. So I think, I mean, is that always the case?
1: Uh, Largely, it's dictated by the event area that we're using. Um, just coming back to the score courses so they, they're the most accessible course to do and they're certainly the courses that we would recommend anybody joining us for the first time to, to consider um, they by nature of the fact there's so much more uh, root choice in it uh, and that uh, I would argue that they're actually the hardest courses to uh, win um, that said uh, the elite competition sits on the higher end of the linear courses where that really is um, is where the, the higher athletes uh, go to compete
0: And that's because um, this year I noticed I mean it, de- it depends if you if you get unlucky or not so for example our, our friend Claire and Pete did the, the linear course not last year but the year before where I, I feigned illness and uh, injury because the weather was so bad <laughs> and they spent I think it was eight hours to not find their third checkpoint and there's nothing you can do because you can't go on to checkpoint four until you've found checkpoint three but the trouble with someone like the om once you're lost because there aren't street names necessarily or, or very obvious things to navigate to you can just be stuck where you're like well i don't know where we are i don't know where we're going we can't we p- can't progress and is, is that common for people do you think
1: Quite often, and that's the big, um, the, the big factor with the linear courses is that you have to hit each checkpoint. Uh, so there is no flexibility within that course. Uh, and that's one of the interesting things about those ones as well as a big commitment. Um, the, the, the issue with people getting lost is, um, how do you then apply rational thought in what can be quite a stressful situation? Uh, and, and certainly quite challenging, especially if the visibility is slightly reduced or, a little bit tired or maybe having a slightly different point of opinion from your teammate. Um, And it it all comes back to just really simple um, uh, little exercises that you can do by just having a look at your surroundings. Um, A hill, a stream, a wall is largely the same as a road sign, Um, but it's learning to read those features in the same way uh, that you you would normally in in an urban environment.
0: I think the the difficulty I find, though, is that when you hit a road, you know it's a road. Whereas when you hit a path or a stream, you think it's a stream, but then you get to the actual path or the actual stream, and you're like, oh, no, that maybe that wasn't the stream because this is more of a stream than the last stream. And, and, and in places where it's, it's wet, streams suddenly pop up where they weren't before, um, like small ones. And, and so that, I think, is the skill of actually being able to, to know what qualifies as being map-worthy.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the test elements of the event is that, uh, sort of mountain knowledge, um, and being able to apply what you can see to the maps that you have. Now, every year we produce the maps specifically for the event. Uh, we go out and we resurvey the whole area. Uh, we bring it right back up to date. Uh, so we're not using historic, uh, historic data that we're presenting.
2: And, and what does we that sa-
1: take? Um, we would normally look at around about hundred man days uh, on the particular event area to set the courses and complete the whole planning and delivery Whoa, of the. Whoa, that's crazy! It's a lot of time. Um, the and is
0: that, is that like spread amongst like is there one person whose sole job is to map everything, or is there a team of you out there, or are you now using drones and things? Or
1: we we have an excellent working relationship with Harveys who do our maps for us. Um, they work with the aerial survey information uh, and the various other sources of information they have to update the maps and When we plan the courses um, each year we work with somebody or, or a number of people who are local to the event area and um, normally speaking they will go out and select um, a whole range of suitable checkpoint locations now for a checkpoint location to be suitable first of all you have to be able to navigate to using just a map. Um, we check that the data on a map is correct within the location of that checkpoint. Uh, we then check for things like phone signal. Uh, we take a GPS location of it um, and we mark that location. Um, later in the year, somebody different will then navigate back to that location, normally from a different direction. Um, so that we then have a, had a confirmation of a second person going and finding it's a little piece of uh, pipe that we put in the ground that normally sticks out no more than two inches. So if somebody can find that, then we, we've got a pretty good idea by that stage that then the map is is good enough for that particular location, um, and then we start to piece together all of these checkpoint locations that we have, uh, and it's a it's a whole consultation process with the environmental agencies and with all the key stakeholders, the landowners, farmers, um, and anybody else who's got a, a vested interest in that area, to then deconflict those route corridors that we're then starting to set up, uh, so that we can control to a certain extent the movement of the people across the area. Make sure we're not going to cause any environmental damage or impact it adversely on anybody's livelihood or within the event space.
0: And is that something that you you need to kind of almost instinctively know now? How how bad um competitors will how, what directions they're going and why? Because I'd imagine you could quite easily look and think there's no way anyone's going to jump this wall, go through that ditch, swim that river, but there must be an element of um, individuals who will always do whatever is so obvious that you shouldn't do.
1: Every year there's, uh, there's some surprising decisions taken uh, and that's one of the interesting things about the event. Uh, we're very, um, we can control the movement of competitors on the event by where we cite the locations. Um, even on a score course, there will be what we would have identified as an optimum route for the slower teams, the medium teams and the faster teams within each course. Um, and there's normally up to about three possible routes within each of those segments that people will take. Now, where there's any particular areas of concern, whether that be a fragile wall, uh, and obviously people shouldn't cross walls or fences unless they're at crossing points, um, then we will adjust the courses to make that search, and if we need to, we'll then mark areas out of bounds uh, so that we have specified movement corridors um, and also uh, put crossing points in. Um, and put marshals on those locations to ensure that we do have um, we're not going to cause any issues with any of the other stakeholders in the area So,
0: so taking it back then with at the end of one on year and what do you then look for to choose a location are, you, are there certain factors that include things in I mean obviously cold, wet <laughs> far from London seems to be key but um, what, what makes the list
1: Well, surprisingly, it's not somewhere that we're looking for that's particularly cold and wet. Um, (laughs) Although, um, For the first three or four years of the event in the late 60s and early 70s, it was always held in the last weekend of September. Um, And I I remember going through the archives and reading the letters between the guys involved at the time um, about uh, changing the date because they didn't feel the conditions were challenging enough. (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: and, And those conditions are part of the challenge that's put on people's kit and equipment and their choice of the kit and equipment uh, and why the kit list is specific but vague at the same time. And you have to carry a sleeping system, but we don't dictate what kind of sleeping system you have to carry. Uh, you have to carry a waterproof, but we don't specify what kind of waterproof you need to carry, for example. Um, so in terms of selecting the areas, um, we have to have them in hills or mountains to start with. Um there's not too many of those close to London or in, in the <laughs> south of England, unfortunately, because it would be far more convenient to do that. Um, and we, we try to find areas of hills that people wouldn't normally travel to. So, for example, this year we're
2: going
1: to... just out of logs. It's an area we used in 2001 uh, when Foot and Mouth was on, um, largely because there was no livestock grazing on the area. Um, and that has direct impact on the vegetation within the area, for example. Which makes it particularly interesting. The views from it are stunning if we uh, if we get the option to have the visibility. Um, and some of the team are working quite hard in trying to book the weather for that this year, because uh, you're looking out across uh, across the hills onto onto the sea. Um It's not a particularly big area in terms of hills, but it is very challenging terrain, and I, I think it, it's a wonderful area for a mountain marathon this year. Then what we're looking for is uh, um, infrastructure. Where can we get everybody in and park them? Uh, Do we need to set that off-site and then bring people in by bus or other sort of transport means? Uh, And where can we get an event centre in where we can accommodate up to 2,000 people and feed everybody and provide a warm, safe space for the event to be run from, Uh, as well as providing interesting course options.
0: And kind of in, in your head from... On a piece of paper, from kind of north to south, east to west, what kind of distance are you looking for to have the the event take place in?
1: Well, again, that changes from one area to the next. Uh, the planning specifications we've developed over the years for the courses are all based on um, a flat line distance. So 100 metres vertical gain is equivalent to one kilometre on flat ground. Um, so all of the courses are set on a flat distance, Um And each year, that's why it's it's very difficult to specify the the exact course lengths on the website uh, without giving away where the area is going to be, um, which is why we give the indications on those. Um, So on the areas with the bigger hills, um, you'll cover less distance, but take in more elevation and descent. And the areas with the smaller hills, you'll do slightly longer distances. Caveat that with um, we have to look at what the vegetation looks like that particular year with the growing season and then use the historic data that we have on the average speed across the ground of teams on those courses to then try to build together what we think the right course should be for that particular year.
0: So what 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 are those speeds in your head of the very best team and the very slowest team?
1: Um, on the elite course, you're looking at up to around about eight kilometres an hour on average. On the slower courses, you're down to, or some of the shorter courses, you're down to around three kilometres an hour. Um, and it varies. The, the weather conditions have a huge part to play in it, as you can testify yourself. Uh, 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 and also have people, uh, you know, last summer we had a particularly warm summer. Uh, the bracken and the heather had a very good growing season. Mm. Um, didn't die down as quickly as we were expecting by October. Um, so we make adjustments to, to compensate for that.
0: And so when you go out then to lay the course, because what, what I found, what we didn't really, because it, it, when you when you do the om, it kind of takes you the first day to remind yourself of how to do the om, um, mm-hmm. because even just doing orienteering is so different because you you're not using paths, but there were these. I was speaking to John who who won it last year, and he was saying that he was always trying to follow sheep tracks, and he mm-hmm. he believed that all of the routes from from point one to two or, or whatever mm-hmm. may, they may be did follow some kind of path, even if it's a, a semi-invisible path that's not on the map. I mean, is, is
1: that true? We're not trying to create a really uncomfortable and unenjoyable weekend for people. And what we are looking to do is uh, is provide that space for people to challenge themselves, um, both navigationally, uh, in terms of fitness, their um their sense of humour uh, and their equipment and all the other elements come with So some of the legs will be uh, much easier to navigate. Uh, some of them will be slightly more difficult. Um, but we've been across all of those routes and uh, across the, the team of people that work with me on the hill. Um, we know that there are reasonable routes to get through those areas. You just have to find them.
0: And does that mean, because I remember, for example, th- quite a bit of it was ankle high or kind of knee high Heather that was actually surprisingly um, cutting to to walk through. And you'd, I mean, we we were pretty bad at our nav. Um, we were getting better by the second day, but we'd often come to a point where we'd think we knew the angle and, but there wasn't an obvious little kind of sheet path. Would it be the case that in your head, if you can climb through stuff and like, even bracken and you chart you can actually make your own path that would be an acceptable route to you or is it the case that there's always something where you can kind of shimmy on through without having to slice everything up
1: normally there's there's always a way through um some people the skill sets sit in different places uh I, my personal um sort of skill set is i'm much better at going uphill than i'm coming downhill um, and uh, so depending on where your strengths are, you can pick your route that to optimise that for, for how you uh, how you perform on the hills. Uh, and that's one of the big challenges is that orienteering is very technical navigation uh, on a much smaller scale. The om focuses much more on route selection, so being able to look at a large tract of land, relatively speaking, of a kilometre or several kilometres, and working out should I go round, should I go down and up. Um, Should I do a little combination of both? Um, uh, uh, And you actually never really know the right answer until you've got to the next checkpoint. Uh. (laughs) And
0: and so, in terms of, say, the score, what would you estimate people, the top people, can day? What are you trying to push them towards?
1: In terms of distance?
0: Yeah. So, in 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 terms of the the elite then, and the the people right at the front, what kind of mileage are you are you trying to push them towards? And do you think they should be capable of?
1: That, again, it very much is terrain dependent uh, based on the year. So, I, I'm not trying to dodge the answer to the question. It's just it, it's not an easy one to answer. Um, the, the examples of uh, last year um, when we we're down in Valley we're, were a little bit more because the terrain is quite runnable. And by the area, we're going from open fell down into Iqba land, crossing over the valleys, uh, back up onto the next set of ridges. Um, so I think over the weekend, maybe around 140 kilometers or so may be covered by the guys on the elite course.
2: I mean, that's not bad,
0: is it? Given the ascent. Um, and Mm. yeah, so for, for the, for the listener then who's, who's never done something like this, what would you say would be good training to prepare them to come into this event?
1: Um, running with your kit. So the the lightest packs on the event are around about 2.7 kilograms. Um, the heaviest packs on the event are upwards on 40 kilograms, depending <laughs> on what people, what people are choosing to take. Um, so play with the kit. Uh, see what it is that's going to work for you and, and what your pack looks like and, and how that fits you. Uh, that's the biggest thing that will annoy you and, and um, detract from your enjoyment of the weekend is if you don't get your pack correctly set up. And uh, it's quite good fun playing with your kit and tinkering to try and get it right. Um, spend time on the, on the hill. Um, but it's a, it's a relatively low intensity, uh, form of exercise.
2: Mm.
1: And you're going to be moving nowhere near as fast as you would be on a regular trail run or on a road run. So it's more about your endurance fitness. Um, there's a lot of rough terrain. So working on ankle strength, um, uh, is very important and the proprioception side of things. And, and endurance and the uh, the biggest thing that often catches people out is their nutrition because they're not used to being out on the hill for seven hours, for example um, so you just you've got to learn to eat when you don't feel like it and make sure that you keep your water intake up uh, and remember to look up and enjoy the space that you're in um, because it's one of the the great enjoyment factors of of doing the om is that you're in these wonderful wild st- stunning places that you, you wouldn't get a chance to go into every day.
0: And, and in terms of, you mentioned food, because mm. I think that's always, there's quite often decision points, and we get this in multi-day ultra running as well, where you've got to decide, am I going to take an extra, whatever it may be? Um, I mean, what what type of calories and what would you say works well for people that haven't been out there?
2: Mm.
1: I'll answer this from, a, from my personal perspective. I'm looking at around about 6,000 calories a day, um, and that varies from person to person. Um, water intake will largely be dependent on the temperature, um, and the areas that we use in the UK, while well, accessible water on them, that's very different in places like Iceland or the Alps or Japan, uh, where the terrain is much better drained, and so you don't always have as much access to water. Um, so I would, and on UK events, I, I uh, carry a, a small bottle uh, at around 500 mils and then I'll just top up every time we hit a stream or, or whatever else and, and just keep going with that. Uh, on the overseas events uh, that we're doing at the moment, I would normally start off with about two litres of water uh, uh, and keep that topped up as we're moving on in the same way that we do on, on sort of expedition races and adventure races.
0: And I've always found that like, the hardest bit is just how cold you are at night and in the morning i mean it it took us about a mile and a half for us to be able to feel our feet on the sunday morning i mean it's partly because i i didn't bring enough pegs and so our tent actually didn't close properly which was a bit of an issue but is that is that just part of the om or do you think it is possible to actually efficiently carry enough kit to be able to have a a warm night's sleep
1: that all comes down to your kit selection. Uh, so the elite teams uh, where weight is a massive factor for their speed across the ground um, will just accept that they are not going to have a comfortable night. They just need to be uh, comfortable enough that they can snooze uh, for sort of 20, 30 minutes at a time, wake up, sort themselves out and go back to sleep again. Um, my own approach to events is not quite as minimalist as that. Um, and you can... Take enough equipment with you um, and be quite comfortable. Uh, certainly, once you get to the tent. But the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge is when you arrive at that overnight campsite and you've experienced this challenging journey to get there. You're tired. You're going to start cooling down very quickly um, if you're mm. not already cold. It's that discipline of getting your tent up, getting naked, get all your wet kit off, get inside your tent get your warm kit on, get in your sleeping bag, get your stove on, get some hot food inside of you, and all of a sudden life is a a much happier place to be. Keeping that kit dry um, whilst you're in your tent overnight is absolutely critical to your level of comfort. Um, So you may well, I don't know if you did or not, but you'll see a lot of the more experienced competitors bring in little plastic bags with them so they can put their feet in, their dry socks in those. And then put them into their wet trainers when they need to go up and get some more water or use the toilets. Um, the type of warm jacket that you bring with you and the type of sleeping bag um, is really important, as well as the type of mat that you're going to sleep on. A lot of competitors won't bring a sleeping mat. They'll lie on their, on their mat for a little bit of insulation. Um, that's not a particularly comfortable way to sleep, and you certainly not You do that. Other people will bring double inflatable airbeds um, and have a very comfortable all night, but they also have quite a large pack with them. Uh, so that's, it comes down to your choice about how you want to do your weekend and what comfort items you're going to put into your pack.
0: And, and you mentioned that when you you give the rules on what is allowed to be in the pack, it is open to interpretation. I mean, what kind of um, ingenuity have you seen from competitors and what kind of examples have you seen of people who have really got it completely wrong? <laughs>
1: um so the kit list is set because that's the absolute minimum that you need to have with you on the mountain to stay safe uh, in the conditions that we can experience at those particular times of year you need to have a full set of dry clothing with you uh, so irrespective of whether you're wearing a set of shorts or a set of tights or trousers to start off with you must have another full set of full leg cover for example because if something does happen you need to have a full set of dry kit to be able to put on until we can come and get you if, if that's if that's the case in worst case scenario in terms of uh, kit adaptation some people will bring um large multi-fuel stoves with them other people bring three titanium pegs uh, a titanium mug and a solid fuel block they'll put the pegs in the ground they'll balance them, <laughs> on top of it and they'll light the fuel block underneath that's still a stove uh, it, it's just a very different kind of stuff, for example. Sleeping or survival bags. Um, we, we specify a, a survival bag rather than a survival blanket. But the reason behind that being is that if you have to leave your teammate in the team tent because they've broken a leg or an ankle to go and get a uh, signal or to get assistance, then you need to have something with you that you can also get inside of um, if something bad happens to you. Mm. Uh, I've seen people taking a foil blanket and uh, heat sealing the blanket together, uh, or the edges of the the blanket to turn it into a bag. Um, I've seen uh, all sorts of adaptations to kit with people sewing things into clothing to cut down on the size of the rucksack that they need to take. Um, and you know, people using one man tents rather than two man tents. Um, yeah, there's, there's there's all sorts of interesting things that you see every year um, with uh, with how people want to run their weekend. Uh, and it never fails to surprise me what you see. <laughs>
0: and I mean, what do you think of those bubble beds? The um, not the bubble beds, the the balloon beds. The balloon beds, yeah. I mean, do, do they work?
1: I, I would never carry one on a race myself. Um, they work for people, yes. Um, for, from my perspective they're the most uh, wonderful piece of morale at the overnight campsite when you sit in your tent when you're already in and you've got your food on and everything else you see the next teams coming in blowing up these beds um, and then you hear them get onto that bed and you hear it squeaking around and then an hour or two later you start to hear some balloons popping if they haven't gotten quite set up correctly um, and when you're lying there and you're nice comfortable sleeping like that's uh it certainly makes your life seem a whole lot better than theirs
0: <laughs> yeah, I've I've that with friends actually. So, um, for for our, our listeners, Ed, so they've signed up to the on, they've got their yep. kits, um, kit sorted, and they then get given their map. What mm-hmm. would you recommend? Like, how should they approach that?
1: Don't just rush off into the course. the The planning of your route is part of your race time, uh, and it's a critical part of that. Um. I would, uh, certainly with the score courses, you plan out provisional uh, routes that you think you're going to take. Make sure you mark some decision points on there so that when you hit an hour in, uh, that you can measure where you think you were going to be I, and keep reassessing what your route choices are. So if you are ahead of where you are, then extend the course. If you're not making the, the, the checkpoints you thought you were going to make, then start to make some changes to your your plans. Uh, and keep reviewing that on a regular basis. Don't just keep pushing ahead, thinking if we push hard, we're going to catch up. And give yourself a chance. Um, on the linear courses, um, you have to be far more focused on the detail of your navigation. Um, five minutes of not paying attention, and all of a sudden you're lost. So you really must stay absolutely on top of your location, and don't just let your teammate take the burden. Help them out every now and again. Just say, "Are you happy where we are? You know, can you show me where we're going on the next leg? And maybe take it in turns to do one leg or the other. Um, and if you if you don't know how to navigate, um, you know, ask your teammate to explain what they're doing on the way around Because that simple act of explaining will also then reinforce what it is that that they're looking at and what they're doing. Um, so don't leave one element of the of the test up to up to your teammate, even if you don't know how to do it them what they're doing.
0: and do you find that within the teams there tends to be one person who's always a navigator or is the more uh, experienced and or do do you find teams tend to be fairly suited
1: there's always going to be somebody who's stronger at a particular skill um, there are I mean, selecting your teammates around Very important part of the event uh, because you're going to uh, you're going to spend a lot of time in quite intense uh in quite an intense way with them uh it's a very good way of forming friendships um it's a very good way of realizing if you don't particularly want to be as well um but yeah there's some teams where there's just one person that navigates and that's what they do the other person is uh, the stronger runner for example um and they will lead the route and help push the pace when they need to um There are other teams who are not there to race in the slightest and their their goal, and it all comes down to what your goal is for the weekend. You know, if your goal is to go up there and have a great time with a friend or your other half, enjoy the mountains and finish, then your approach to it is very different than if you're turning up and and wanting to place in the results. Um,
0: And do you find that actually the, that some people who have the first approach end up doing better anyway, because, they're not risking as much and, and overstretching?
1: Uh, often they enjoy it a lot more uh, because they, they've set themselves goals which are more achievable. Um, and it comes down to what your reasons are for doing the weekend. Um, the guys, when you're really pushing things, your error for margin is much greater. Um, so your, your chance of making mistakes is, is much higher. <laughs>
0: And, um, and so in, in terms of uh, the locations then, because you've got the OM, which is the, the original, but they used to be on Iceland. There's one now in, um, in the Alps. There's one in Japan. Do you find that there's, there's a different culture in those countries towards this event?
1: Very much so. The, the, in European Alps, for example, uh, the concept of taking a tent with you is um, not, not normal. Um, there's a, an amazing network of alpine huts and refuges um, right across the, the Alps um, that are amazing places to go and stay. Um, you plan your route based on where those are and go and stay there. So the idea of carrying um, a tent, uh, camping wild, for example, in, in Germany is illegal. Um, so it's just not something that you uh, it's that's uh, slowly really growing. It's really fun seeing people coming to um, to take on the challenge um, that, that's presented by the event. In Japan, for example, the, uh, the culture is there to go out into the mountains a lot more. Uh, but again, they don't take um, don't take tents with them so much. They tend to use tarpaulins um, or hammocks because the the ground is so much drier that there isn't necessarily the need for a certain ground sheet like we have in the UK. Um, But the whole concept of leaving the trail to navigate is is not one that is particularly common outside of the UK or Scandinavia. So it's really interesting taking it to new places uh, and seeing the international teams who are used to um, leaving the trails uh, and taking advantage of the the shorter routes in between different checkpoints, uh, competing against guys who might not necessarily think of that straight away.
0: Also, the the locals will typically take the longer route just because they think that's what they're
1: they're meant to do often yeah Uh, it's a mindset more than anything else Uh, there's a trail here so i'm going to use it um, rather than well i think there's a better way across the mountain than taking this trail so i'm going to try that
0: oh that's really interesting actually um and so there there've been a few times when the weather has been horrific i mean what what kind of scenarios have people got themselves into it? and how do you as a race try and um, maintain safety on such a big event
1: area the weather conditions again it all comes down to sound mountain judgment which is one of the elements that is being tested by the event what uh, what the conditions are throwing at the event are suitable for some teams not for other teams mm the that's not for uh, us as as the event organizers to make that decision on which teams are allowed and which teams are not allowed to go on the mountain and that's something that we expect uh, teams to make themselves and part of the challenge and you know the the more significant the challenge the greater the sense of achievement Um, so it's good to push the boundaries uh, and to look for new places to do that um the the safety side of things, the weather always causes uh, a challenge with that. The first part of it is coming down to the course planning. It's knowing what the movement corridors are. It's knowing what our extraction points are, um, where we've got our marshals located. We have a target that we can reach um, anybody who's uh, who needs assistance with an hour of, of notification. And often that means having teams stationed out across the area. Um, In the consultation period leading up to the event, uh, right from before we even start to plan the courses, we have spoken with the local rescue teams, the police, the highways um, and the various other organizations that in a worst case scenario we would need to talk to 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 support the event. Uh, And the courses are planned um, in consultation with those guys um, to ensure that we can manage the space uh, in a safe way.
0: And do you have people who ever turn up and you, you don't let them actually race because they, they they aren't prepared? They clearly haven't got the right kit or even if they've got the right kit, they just don't know what they're doing.
1: Well, prior to anybody getting to the event, everybody enters on their entry forms, uh, what their previous experiences. is. Um, there's been a number of people over the years that are surprised when we get in touch with them. Um, uh, and we quite often get some entertaining comments put in there. Um, about people's uh, different competencies, um, <laughs> and we talk to people about the course that they're on. If we see somebody's on the first-time event, uh, we always get in touch with them. Um, if we see somebody who's on a, or an A course or even the B course, uh, which is commonly thought to be a, an easier course, but the B course is is not an easy course, um, then we have a chat with them. It's it fundamentally comes down to the individual's decision. Um, we are providing a format. For is your decision on how long you want to continue to spend. once you've made that decision to come off the race then we will support you with that and where needed we'll, we'll, we'll help you get down off the hills um, but it's the, the wonderful thing about the event is because the way that it's planned and set up is that we can safely let people go onto the hills provided they've got the right equipment um, and find that out for themselves um, and then provide the support um, if they need it
2: Where do
0: you see the ongoing then? Are there? Are there? Because the the Iceland one sadly is no more. A good race, it's so fun actually, and um, and just being able to explore a different country as well is an added element of um, excitement. But are there more plans for expansion overseas?
1: Yeah, it's a real shame that we stopped in Iceland, as you say. It was it was an amazing area to go and, and run a race in, um, and actually the the guys that Dave Annandale, who I worked with to put that race on is still mm. organising some fabulous races in Iceland with the fire and ice um, mm. and some other races that he's doing. Um, it's, where's the going? Um, I took over looking after the events in 2013 from a lady called Jen Longbottom, who'd been looking after the event for the last 31 years. Um, I very much see our role as being custodians of the event. This event doesn't belong to us. It belongs to a community of people who like going into the mountains um, like looking after the spaces where we, we hold the events uh, and care about what happens in those places um, and enjoy challenging themselves in, in just these stunning, beautiful places that we have here, uh, not only in the UK, but in, in various other places around the world. I'm not looking to, uh, uh, sorry, continuing from that, that means we need to protect wherever possible the integrity of the event. It has to remain not for profit. Um, it has to stay true to uh, why it started, which is to provide a place to come and test yourselves um, and test all the elements of, of mountain skill. Will we put some more on in other places? Maybe. I hope so. That means I get to go to some more interesting places. Um, we're not actively looking to do that uh, at the moment. Um, and with the events being not-for-profit, uh, they require a period of at least three to five years uh, of us to financially support them until we, until we get them to become financially viable. Um, and we're, we're a small self-funded, uh, group of people. Um, and, uh, we don't want to change that because it, it would mean that we wouldn't be able to protect the integrity of the event. Um, so we will, we'll do that as and when, uh, we're able to really.
0: And, and we, we, you know, we had a lot about the snowflake generation. There's also um, a lot more people actually getting into trail than used to. I mean, how are you seeing over the five years you've been there, the six years? Are people getting better at these types of skills or are we getting worse?
1: We see around about 30% uh, new people every year uh, coming to the event for their first time, which is wonderful. And we've seen the demographic of people changing as well. The age range is, is or the the average age is, is lowering. Um, the number of ladies taking part is increasing and has done significantly in the last ten years. Uh, we've gone from nineteen percent uh, when I first uh, started working with a team back in two thousand and nine to around about forty percent now. Um, and that varies by country as well uh, and by year. Uh, but it's really good to see, uh, to see that starting to to, to balance out. In terms of competitive skill sets, uh, wow! Uh, you always you always get some interesting um, decisions that are made, uh, particularly when people are tired. Mm. Um, but the, we're very lucky to have a a, a a very good safety record in the event. We've never had a fatality uh, touch Touchwood, um, and at some stage, uh, with the nature of a race that we have, that that may well happen um, if. You know, somebody has a heart attack out in the middle of the hills. There's very little that we can do about it. Mm. Um, but, uh, the, the injuries that we tend to get, um, are, um, slip strips and falls, twisted ankles, occasionally a broken ankle or a dislocated shoulder, um, and cuts to heads if people have banged their heads on the way down, um, or issues as a result of pre-existing medical conditions. Um, so from a, from a safety perspective, anything particularly new um we're seeing variations in kit turning up and previous experience um but that's why we have um an information desk at the event so if you do turn up there and you're a bit unsure about stuff you can go and talk to somebody who's done maybe 20 or 30 oms amongst their other races uh, and get some advice from them and um, we started in 2014 um realized that there wasn't really any um, sort of progression events if you like to go from trail to running in the mountains and carrying your gear to doing a two-day event at the end of October. Um, so that's why we started the festival, uh, where, where all the navigations are footpaths and, and trails. You don't carry your overnight kit, you come back in. It's not a self-sufficient event, so if you want to stop in the pub and have lunch, by all means do so. Um, and if you fancy doing it on a bike, then you can do it on a bike as well. Um, or you could do one day of, of the bike and one day running. We could do a day's running on the navigation-based course, and then switch over and do a day's trail running um, on one of the other events. Um, and that's been a, that's been a really fun project to do for the last uh, last four years. and met some really interesting people along the way.
0: And, and you're right, actually. As the arm as an event, if you go into it with someone else who's never done it, and neither of you have ever done anything similar to it, it is a lot harder than you'd expect and even returning we forgot how much harder it was than we remembered because you always remember things as being not quite as um well you remember yourself as probably being a bit better than you you probably were um
1: <laughs> yes I, I fall foul of that myself as well
0: and and you mentioned about some people making unusual decisions i mean what, what would you say are the weirdest decisions that people have made in their uh, their time of need
1: oh um when we're in the langdale's um i got a phone call for a team who'd managed to end up outside uh, a supermarket in keswick um, <laughs> which uh, was an hour and a half's drive away um, Wow! and uh yeah so that that particular team um decided they rang us up and i said yeah not a problem i'll send somebody to come and get you it's going to be an hour and a half please don't move uh, and about 10 minutes before uh, one of the team arrived to collect them they got in a taxi and I then got a phone call from the taxi driver saying um, these guys haven't got any money but instead said if I bring them back to the event centre you'll pay the fare for them. Um, so that was a, an interesting one. Wow. Um, yeah, what there's, happened there's... What
2: happened
0: financially to that? Was that uh oh, they get the cards out when they
1: uh, arrived? Well, no, no they didn't. Um, the taxi driver took them back to the supermarket <laughs> and then sent the invoice for his fare, and then the one of the team who'd gone to pick them up brought them back. Um, yeah, but it's, it's little examples of funny things that you wouldn't expect to happen on the event that just crop up when you're in the middle of sort of managing the event uh, that, in hindsight, make you smile.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, and,
1: oh sorry, go ahead. There, there's lots and lots of these that you could go on all night with them, but there's um, teams that decide to split up. So one team member isn't feeling very well, so. They come back to uh, the event centre or, or head straight into the overnight site, and the other member of the team decides to carry on just running themselves. Um, uh, that's that's an example of quite a, a bad decision to take, because um, your first point of safety is your teammate, um, and uh, you can't both carry the team stores that you're required to carry, especially when you're on the elite course. So that's uh, that's not a great one to do. Um,
0: Although that's one that I can imagine people just not thinking would actually just think well if I was running a normal run I'd be fine to carry on and so it's just that lack of experience really that would I think lead you to that decision
1: um it would yeah and it's completely understandable um and it's just it's one of the great things about the event is that um we have the we do a huge ecological survey uh, before the event uh, where we work out threshold capacity assessments for the different route corridors and how many pairs of feet we can put through there before there's any risk of damage. Mm. Um, and that will affect the number of people that we allow onto each course and the number of total people onto the event, for example. Um, but we can, we produce the briefing notes on on that and put them out around the event center to hopefully educate people about the flora and fauna that they're going to see on the event area and, um, and also highlight uh, any particular conservation work or projects that are being done in, in that event area. Um, because my, my belief is that events should be a benefit to the local community that's hosting us and also to the, the wild space that, that's allowing us to, to put the event on there. Um, and, and by charging people for that, I think is counterproductive explaining to people what's going on and highlighting what the with that, and then inviting people to support it so that we can continue to use these spaces uh, and that they're there for future generations is really important because without buy-in from the whole community that uses the mountains, we're, we're not going to get there. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of the work that we do behind the scenes to try and continue to facilitate mm-hmm. that. Supporting the mountain rescue teams of people who, who come and get us when we make mistakes and when we get it wrong, um, who are completely voluntary, is, is absolutely critical. Uh, those guys all give up a huge amount of their time um, and uh, their sleep or sleeping hours to uh, to come and get people who have made bad decisions. Um, so it's vital that we support the work that, that all of the stakeholders do to to allow people to go into these areas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, and if people wanted to sign up for the O.M. this year, are there still mm-hmm. places available?
1: Oh, they need to be quick. Um, <laughs> I, I've just come back from working at uh, a friend's race up in Glencoe this weekend, at the Glencoe Skyline. Mm. And I know the team are working on the website. Uh, but I'm quite sure if anybody got in touch with us the next couple of days to we'll be able to, uh, to help out. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, come and join us in the beautiful Clyde Muir Shield.
0: <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for coming on Stuart and um, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing event as ever um, if not hard as well as as hard as it always is but um, good luck with that event and we'll, we'll, there will be some listeners there I'm sure but certainly for the Omlight something that a bit more sunshine not quite as aggressive and I think you could see quite a few of us there next year
1: well it would be wonderful to have you and if you do come and join us please come and find me say hello um the nice thing about the festival is it is a a very well catered uh setup in terms of food and and bar there and it's a much more relaxed environment so we we can sit down and have a chat and if anybody does have any questions at any stage please grab me because uh i just enjoy spending my time in the mountains it's it's nice to talk to other people about uh, them doing the same thing
0: perfect well thank you so much Stuart, and uh all the best for the next race
1: Likewise, David. Take care and I hope your training's going well. (laughs) Cheers, buddy. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, that was
3: interesting.
0: Yeah, just so, I mean, so different to, so different an approach to a race and like an ethos that, that to a lot of races you see out there.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very different from how, I, I suppose it's it's because it's developed for such a long period of time that actually it hasn't taken, it's not needed to take its lead from other events. And so it's almost like carved its own little own little niche, as it were, mm. and stuck to it, and it's proved popular. And, it, you know, it's not like the biggest or the best known. I mean, it is well known, but it's not like mm. everyone, you know, is obsessed with you know, in the way that they are with like UTMB and, and, and things like that. Whereas this is just, it's like a, it's, it's like a classic, isn't you know, it? Yeah, it, it defies
0: yeah.
3: Uh, trends, as it were.
0: Well, they don't really. I mean, they released a video, but it's they've never tried to like. There's no marketing strapline of like go. Like, like, they've never really pushed it hard.
3: <laughs> and also so, somewhere you don't normally want to go and wet. That's kind
0: of like. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> well, no, I think it's somewhere you want to go, but somewhere. You want to go with a nice pair of walking boots to stop in a pub halfway yeah, round yeah. with a log fire, and to you know the type of thing that you you want to walk on after a good lunch and <laughs> yes. then feel satisfied.
3: You prefer this as a walking holiday, so we're ruining it, kind of.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but um, that's I said I hadn't even thought about it, but I've just realised now. You talk about UTMB and. And the big difference about this in a lot of other events is there's no phones. I think you've got to have an emergency phone in your backpack, but you're not allowed to take your phone out at any point. And so there are no selfies. There are no Instagram updates. There are no Twitter tweets at all throughout the whole weekend until people come back when you turn your phone on. Really? Yeah. And so that makes a massive difference because actually, you know, even if you take photos at the beginning and at the end – they're not really going to yeah, tell the yeah. story.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, that, 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 that does make a massive difference. When you think about the popularity of um, certainly things like OCR and certainly like, you know, on ultras and, and like multi-day events, um, the, the kind of the popularity has been fueled by that ability to basically put out so much social media um, around it. And this is almost like, yeah, the unsocial media, worked. the anti-social yeah.
2: media <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> approach to it. Although when he was, I mean, t- talking about anti-social, um, I was feeling a bit bad. So basically, I'm in debt to the OM anyway, because <laughs> 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 because uh, Ross and I went last year and we we created a video for the Icelandic Dom. We were meant to create a video for this one. But when I came back, it was the time when. Um, all of which seems seems to be constantly if you're a listener but all of my tech just went to shit and where I lost my my backup drive I lost my hard drive I lost the backup to the backup drive and it had nearly all of the footage of the omon and so I just I lost my videos to be able to then make the video for them um wait 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 wait, wait a minute wait a minute I
3: thought I thought you said you're not allowed to get your phone out
0: well, you're not you're not meant to for um, for navigation purposes. But I took it upon myself.
3: Um, I think it was pretty obvious when you took those videos that you certainly weren't using anything for navigation. Purposes. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah. I mean, you're getting lost is part of our narrative, yeah. <laughs> whether we intend it or not. But um, so I kind of feel a bit indecent, But that actually, the worst thing about our footage, when Ross and I think back. We, we never, we, we approached it in a typical do um style. And when he was there, like, yeah, you know, you should never climb over fences. You should never be climbing over walls. We were like, I was thinking, oh, I'm pretty, pretty pleased we didn't release that video where Ross <laughs> ended up running up a stream that ends up, like, climbing through barbed wire. And it was the, the worst. The thing is, whenever you end up in situations like that, it's never the quicker route. It's never the right decision. But you just, you're kind of lost. And you're like, right, I think we just jump that or we just do that. So I was feeling a bit guilty. Yeah, so
2: don't, go, do we, don't do
0: that. Don't do that.
3: We're completely lost. So I think we should cross this river. It's <laughs> definitely the right way to go. Because that is, that is going to guarantee we'll definitely get right
0: right back on track. But the, the bit when he was talking about Japan and how they are very... And and even France where they they don't go off trail in the way we do. They're just not it's not trained into them. Makes me I'd love to go and watch it. Because that's a different route.
3: I like the way you're thinking. I like to go watch it because I will have such an advantage over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll be bitches, swimming down rivers <laughs> and they'll be on a path like a sucker. <laughs> 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 but yeah, the the fact that the I always think of the Japanese as being very polite, like even for compared to the Brits, like very polite, very rule based, um, always you know, respect authority. And so, it's interesting that that then follows through into their trail running. And that, even though there's no rules against running cross country, and actually, that's the good thing about the omits, it's, it's often in places where the vast majority of the route is just openness yes. on the side of a mountain, but they'll still won't they won't um, veer off the paths. Um, so I, don't, I should have asked them whether that means they have to set the route slightly differently because they have to allow for someone who's only using paths.
3: That's brilliant. So what you can do is you go to Japan, you go out the night before, you you just get a load of turf and stuff and you fill in. Uh, <laughs> so, so they're running along and all of a sudden this, pa- this trail comes to an end and there's just a bunch of people stood there going... I- what, what do we do
0: now? We, we, we can't leave just put show. up one of those road signs, like turn like <laughs> no way through the here. And they're like, ah, oh, we're going to have to go all the way round, down up the other side of the mountain. <laughs> it's quite nice to just have a... I think it's it's nice that the OM, I think, will always be there. And, you know, we do get frustrated sometimes with how the sport is becoming. And, and actually... Tying into this, UTMB have just released that next year you need fewer points to apply for UTMB. So in, instead of having to have three monster races to get the, the total points, the equivalent of like three MDSs, or yeah. um, you only need two of them now. Which in itself, that's in- crazy. I- UTMB is already oversubscribed. So what do we do? We make it easier for people to apply. So,
3: you, so wait a minute. So apply. do you do you pay upon application?
0: Oh, I don't know.
3: Yeah, I wonder if you pay upon application because if you God. if you pay upon application, that's you don't with um, things like London Marathon, do you? You you you, do. you you
0: you can get it back if you want. Yeah, you, you get you it. Don't, yeah, you get like some hilarious jacket saying. But do
3: you pay, do you actually pay at that moment? At the moment that you
0: i'm not sure but you i think you can or does that you must, only go through when i think you, you must put your details in because if you if you're not successful there is an option where you can get a i didn't make it top. yeah yeah the loser fleece yeah yeah exactly
3: it's, do you think it's one of those um real buzz style um data harvesting attempts so literally anyone if you've done a couple of park runs you can enter utmb and so what they'll do is that everyone will enter UTMB so that they end up, like, yeah. trebling, doubling, you know... Quadruple. But they can't,
0: because, you know, as, that's the trouble with, with races like this. You can't... And, you know, as, we, as when you spoke to Chris talking about the Asia Trail Master Series, some trails are limited in how many people you can get through. And also, some there comes a point where you destroy a trail even yeah. if you can get everyone through yeah but I, i've
3: been thinking about this and i've been thinking about the um I, you know iron man and the fact that it's owned by you know this uh, uh chinese uh, venture capital firm it's like mm. utmb is a brand now yeah is a brand they could you know they've started launching races elsewhere they yeah. could if they get a huge database and then they start launching other races and then all of a sudden you know um, you have to enter their other races in order to qualify for the big one. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah. If, I was an, if I was an evil race organisation, so I'd do you be, think I'd be creating almost... this scaling up that everyone Everyone is paying money to UTMB in some way in <laughs> order to do the big race.
0: So do you think they're overwhelming the UTMB Chamonix with, the inter- with applications so that people have to go to the ones in Amman and wherever, wherever else they are.
3: Yeah. Cause don't, don't they say that if you do the one in Amman, you get additional points or something to try yeah, or, 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 or you get extra some kind special of special fleece. No, no, no. But don't you get, don't you have an advantage? You go to the, if you do the UTMB in Amman, you get um, a, a higher level of points. than if you did um, an, another type of race of, of, which is, of I mean, that's clearly is, just wrong. Yes it is clearly just wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is clearly... That, that's, that's how I... D- d- if I put my evil hat on, that's how I'd do it. Yeah, exactly. But that is that is the point at which people should be saying the UTMB is no longer an organisation that we feel is in the interest of runners. They're, they're, they're edging towards the, the Edinburgh Marathon style of doing business. And... Uh, <laughs>
3: Oh, wait a minute. Come on. <laughs> Let's get some perspective here.
0: <laughs> it's going to be a, a solely downhill Edinburgh, race soon.
3: Edinburgh aren't evil. Edinburgh are just incompetent.
0: No, and, well, they're, they're money grabbing. Be,
3: they're money grabbing and <laughs> incompetent. But.
0: but that's the thing. with there, there needs to be a point as a running community that we, we should be the people that decide what the morals, what the ethics... Um, what the approach is of our industry and then there needs to be a point when if UTMB start doing that we just say no we shouldn't have to go to Oman to qualify for your poxy race
3: Give <laughs> use to the word poxy <laughs> you can do that now by not entering their races
0: yeah and, and I I, I think people shouldn't I think there's so many good other races out there and this is
3: this is our sinister, clever way to open up a lot more UTMB spots for ourselves. <laughs> Everyone, we're going to do a blanket boycott. No one next year. No one apply. No one apply. I
0: thought you were going to say we we're
3: going to launch our own race series. <laughs> we're going to do the reverse UTMB. Which is why
0: we've now created. <laughs> but that's the, that's the nice thing about the OM, actually. It's, it's always there. You can always get a place Constant. if you register Constant. early enough. And it's always the, the same in in the, the the style of it doesn't change even though the location does and it's una what what I'd love to do though is to get someone who has never done it before who's not prepared like a, a hardened doctor to just go out and try it because I'm not I'd love you should go and do it because I don't know if it's really hard because I make it hard by not taking any equipment and just freezing my nuts off all night or whether that's true of everyone no matter how many fleeces how good a tent so I think you should do it next year. See, that's quite,
3: that's quite a good thing. That's true. How much does your, um, does what you carry with you affect your experience of it? Because I've always been of the opinion I'd rather be slower and you know, jeopardise anything in terms of performance in order to enjoy it more. Mm. Um, yeah, people have different priorities. And so it's like it, it's a it's a it's a single night race, isn't it?
0: Jenny, Many... how about this? We do oh. it together next year.
3: <laughs> oh my god!
0: I uh, carry a shitload of crap to to slow me down. Yeah,
3: and, and we'll then just I'll just and it. I'll just come as my normal weight.
0: Equal. <laughs> 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 and we just enjoy it, and we just see, like, is it something that can be deliciously tasty,
3: or <laughs> is it just misery?
0: Is it misery throughout? I mean, it's it's—it's not all misery like in the day it's great until you get completely lost which you might not have to if we're going slower we won't get lost
3: i i'm i'm good at navigating we won't get lost
0: um, you're not allowed your uh your gps uh, i don't
3: You know what i can't use a gps anyway
0: oh that's true you use
3: it on the I'm wrong pretty, wrist and turn it off use, i'm pretty useless at that um I'm I I think in terms of navigation I'm I'm solid. In fact that would be quite good because I'd like to test myself really on let's uh, do it. on that. Yeah, okay. Right, let's Boom. do the on um, next year. Can the we do on- one is there is there one in like um the Bahamas or something like that? Where's where's the warmest me, one?
0: Uh, I think that would be defeating the uh, <laughs> defeat, <laughs> defeating the purpose, but I mean they do have one in Switzerland so next, no, the the name of the Swiss Alps, the French Alps. They've got the on light. Which is a taster session that you know he have talked about where you can just do a day, you can cycle mm, the second mm. day, or um, but you you can do that where you you don't run with all your kit, so it's more like a quest stars.
3: Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, it's I reckon do. next year let's do
3: that. Let's do do the proper thing.
0: Yeah, next year let's do because I can't face it this year, and we're probably too late actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, next year let's do it. Say so do batters. What do you think? Have you? Who else has done it? Have you found it as hard as I have, or is it just the way I've approached it? Or is it just me? <laughs> and um, does it interest you? Is this is it the type of event that you think we should be like actively getting behind because you know they've got such a good ethos to you know, how they take care of the the local environment? You know, hundred days of preps, insane. Um, well, wow, that's a lovely episode. If you like this one. There is an OM episode out there where we talked about Ross and I going to the OM. There's one where we went to the OM Iceland. Claire and I uh, went with quite a few do-batters. Classic. That's lost. a classic G-Law story again. <laughs> G-Law loses everything. <laughs> but then what are other good ones? Um, we spoke to Tom Davies, who is... He's gone to the world... He's one of the best adventure racers that I know, so he's, he's won one of the stages of the on before the before he's uh he's gone to the the world champs and has some incredible stories from out there that's a really good one to listen to um yeah can you think of any other ones that are kind of similar in i don't know i feel like we've talked about the on quite a lot
3: but only as a result of knowing people that have been doing it in terms of in terms of things that are similar, I don't think we've we done a lot of multi-day races, really, as a, as a kind of a percentage of um, the things that we've talked about, apart from say adventure racing,
0: especially not self-nav ones, which is it makes such a difference to to what it is, um, yeah. the strategy of it. Maybe the UK Challenge. We talk about our favourite ever races, episode two, three. <laughs>
3: yeah, it is. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's not similar as an event but it's similar in p- parts of the approach and the well, it's question the strategy it's so, so kind of like the strategy
3: isn't it how you deal with um uh, breaking your day up how you deal with you know that combination of navigation and mm. endurance and dealing with other people it's the the aspect of it, i think about it is the um it, it's having to do it with someone else as well that now having done races where you've had to go be with someone
2: else
3: mm. uh, how how difficult or whether that generally is a that generally is something that's generally difficult or whether it's completely dependent on who you're
0: with. And actually, if if we go next year, when we go next year, often when we do races or when we go to events, everyone who organizes them says, Why don't you why don't you do a live podcast? Why don't you record a podcast while you're here? And you're like it would be so boring. Whereas this, I think would be a great episode just to record your little strops, my little strops, how are feeling?
2: How do you uh,
3: Jody's Jodie's in a strop, and you can tell because it's just me talking. He's been silent for the last three hours.
0: I'm not sure he's going to make the greatest podcast ever. He's quivering in a hole. He's, he's calling emergency services. We were like 10 minutes in.
3: <laughs> he just wants rescue from me talking at him. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks for listening, guys. If you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, please do subscribe and give us a five star ratings on iTunes. It really, really does help. There's a Facebook group that you can join um, Bad boy running. There's a running club if you want to get not two pounds off the arm because they're not EA affiliated. <laughs> what would they be? Oh, UTM, In fact, doesn't help with anything to do with this uh, this topic, but why not? Anyway, you get a lovely top and some goodies that no one's ever allowed to talk about. Um <laughs> And I guess we'll see you next time. See you later. Brother bye bye
2: bye 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 bye
0: bye Baby bye 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 Baby, bye 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave don't come back Yes, and give me one more try. Cause a love like this. Should I never ever die? Come back.
2: Fuck you, buddy.